Hey everybody, Doug here. Before we get going on this week's episode of Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, uh, which I think you're really going to dig, I have a quick announcement for you. In case you missed it, we are now putting bonus content on our Instagram page. So head on over to Nostalgia Marcanum and follow us there to see those. There's going to be one for every episode. The first one uh, was with our Rugrats episode, then there's one there for the Beatles now, and there'll be one there every week following with little tidbits, anecdotes, or factoids that uh, I thought were interesting, but for whatever reason didn't make it into the body of the main episode. So uh, please check those out there and uh, get ready for this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Marcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... You have spent over $3,000. You're grounded. You are all grounded. How could you steal from me? Well, now, they didn't really steal. They borrowed. They were just following your irresponsible example. Oh, shut up, Kenny. I am in deep shit. Quit your job. Get out while you can. I'm an embezzler. They're gonna throw me in prison. Nah, the judge will probably go easy on you, considering you're a minor. I'm not gonna give up. We'll just economize. I'll keep working. I'll work overtime if I have to. A few more paychecks, I'll be able to put it back, and no one's gonna know, right? I'm innocent. Released in 1991, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead did not set the world on fire upon initial release, but has really gained a cult following over the years. I'm very excited to be talking about it because this is my first time watching it, and I know our guests really love this movie, and it's been a big part of their lives. So first, to reintroduce our guests that you've met before, it is the bestest producer and co-host I could ask for, my wife, Amy Leaf. Hello. And returning champion, uh, the pride <laughs> of the West Side Comedy Theater, uh, and please uh, go uh, hire him for his teaching at Rich Baker Coaching. Welcome back to the podcast, Rich Baker. Uh, thanks for having me, as always. Appreciate it. So, Rich, uh, you were the one who suggested this topic, and as soon as Amy found out about it, she was like, I gotta get in on that. So, I'll start with you, Rich. Uh, tell us about your nostalgic memories of this movie and why you picked it. I was so excited <laughs> that, excuse uh, <clears throat> me, I'm so excited, Amy, that you're here. Because I think at some point in our history together, we've actually quoted this movie to each other, I think. I, I don't that know. Is quite, that is quite possible. I think in my history of talking to all people, I have probably quoted this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's so quotable. Like, you know, in the 90s, there were these movies that were just so well written that you could just and well acted that you could quote the heck out of them. Like, So I Married an Axe Murder and Tommy Boy. And I think uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead is 100% the same it just uh it was an hbo darling and so hbo was kind of my gateway to a lot of my media so i would just watch it over and over and over and i never got tired of it and i still watch it as an adult aim how about you uh tell me where this movie fits in in your past <laughs> um i don't remember my first experience watching it but i do just remember what like called me to it like what you said it came out in 91 yeah mm-hmm. so i would have been 11 so she was 17 christina applegate was 17 in the movie so I think it was just this like glamour, glamouring, glamour. What, what word am I looking for? Glimmering, <laughs> glamorous, glamour, glamour. Uh, sure, glamorous like lifestyle of a teenager. Like she gets to go to work and um, she has this experience with this boy that she dates, and it was just kind of like this. That's cool. I want to do that when I get older and bigger. Um, so yeah, I can't tell you like my first or any experiences. I don't have any memories of watching it. I just remember like it was one of those movies I watched all the time. Yeah. I, I obviously, again, I mentioned this is my first time seeing it. I remember the marketing for it at the time. And for whatever reason, the marketing at the time just didn't speak to me. And I think a large part of that, and we'll get to it is the commercials for it were all just like, the dishes are done, man. And that was it. And it was, so I thought it was this like slacker comedy sort of, you know, the cat's away, the mouse will play. And that's part of it. But I was very surprised to watch this and see that the movie, in fact, the bulk of the movie is not that. 
And it's something very different. We used to do this thing, Amy and I, when we were going to watch a movie that one of us had seen and the other had not, where we would ask the other one, you know, what do you think this movie is without having actually watched it? And then we would see how close the prediction was to reality. So I remember doing this with Cocktail specifically, where she asked, like, oh, what do you think the Tom Cruise cocktail movie was about? And I was like, well, clearly... It's about this guy who's a trick bartender, and at the end, he's got to win the big trick bartending competition because it's a fucking 80s movie, and that's what's supposed to happen, and it's not. That is not what happens in that movie at all. And I wish we had done that for this movie because I would have been so dead wrong about what this movie is. I mean, basically, like, you got Working Girl in the middle of my slacker comedy. (laughs) And I was so surprised. Like the bulk of it, it's like Melanie Griffith that that movie. Yeah. Um, and I know Risky Business was cited as an influence, but I saw much more Working Girl in this. Well, sure. Because uh, yeah, there was so much more going on than I, I expected. But uh, we'll get into all of that. Rich, where do you want to start talking about this one? It's so weird. Um, I think I'll start by um just kind of piggyback off what Amy was saying. It's just this idea that like you know I'm 11 or 12 years old or whatever, 10 years old, and I'm seeing you know these kids you know, run their own household. And, you know, it was different than Home Alone, which was more like a zany cartoon. This was like, oh, they actually, like, pulled together and created stuff. So, like, I'm looking back at it, I get it, because the director, I guess we can start with the director, um, is also the same director as Bill and Ted, which was a movie that I absolutely loved. Yeah, I, I thought this was well-directed. I felt like the movie was almost, like, I, I want to see what this movie looks like if it had been directed by Joe Dante or Savage Steve Holland, who did, um, you know, One Crazy Summer and Better Off Dead. Like, there's some of that DNA in there. There's some really, like, weird, zany stuff. And I almost wish, like, Herrick had gone farther Mm. in that direction with some of the weirder things. Like, the cartoon opening is very One Crazy Summer. The the weird um, uh, clown dog where she works briefly has that same tone. And so does, like, the way the babysitter goes from like nice old lady to like rolled doll monster again i felt like it, more in tune with those directors be good everybody bye bye, bye. take care of each other your little maggots now line up time to go over the rules excuse me are you serious you can't run a tight ship without rules now move uh amy were you a a bill and ted's fan as well i remember enjoying it yeah not quite like the level of nostalgia that i have for this movie but definitely i did love bill and ted for sure that was when i watched a bunch and not only did he direct that, he directed uh, Critters. He went on to direct The Mighty Ducks. Like, sure. You can see, like, there is there is kind of, um, like, he has a certain sensibility that, that does come through in his different films, for sure. Yeah. Uh, let's talk um, about that animation yeah. that it starts with, because I had uh, just completely forgotten about the animation part until this last rewatch. Uh, I don't know how it escaped me, but I was like, I forgot that movies even used to do that. The one that came to mind first when I saw that was City Slickers. I remember that opens with a lot of uh, this, like, just cartoon stuff over the credits. Yeah. Doesn't one of the vacation movies start with uh, animation of some kind? Or No? I don't know. It's maybe. maybe. Something like that. I think that, the original yeah. one does, right? Maybe, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I mean... I, I'm not, I can't even remember what the animation was for this movie, honestly. We watched it, like, two days ago. <laughs> it's, the, she's, it's the babysitter, like, just walking around being cranky, sort of, for yeah. two and a half minutes. Okay. And not a lot happens in it. It's just sort of... Well, this movie sets a tone, again, talking about, like, expectations and, like, where the movie actually went. I thought... Obviously, I knew she was going to die. It's in the title. But I thought that more of the movie was going to be dealing with like the farcical consequences of her death, like trying to evade uh, discovery by the authorities. And that, like at the end of the movie, maybe that would catch back up with them. And it really doesn't. It's just, you know, she dies and now they're on their own and that's it. There's no, you know, inquiry into where she went, you know, none of that. Yeah. I think that comes in the sequel. Because the mom is obviously very concerned about that sure. at the well, end of the movie. What happened to yeah. her? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the mom who, uh, so uh, 
I don't know. What, what do you think of, of Mrs. Crandall, by the way? I have a lot of issues with Mrs. Crandall. Okay, go. Um, she barely checks in with her kids. She disappears for like months. Um, she didn't interview this babysitter before the day that she was going to leave. That's my biggest issue. <laughs> for <laughs> like, like two and a half months, too. I mean, yeah. And obviously, like, the house is a mess. They're, they're saying a lot about this mother. Yeah, she's not the best, uh, but she's doing her best for a 37-year-old. That's what she said. Yeah, so she started, she started early then. Yeah, I did the math, by the way. The, the actress was uh, actually 47 when she shot it. Okay. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Which made more sense. I wonder how old Christina Applegate would have been. Probably about 20. Probably. I have to guess. Yeah. yeah, this was, Married with Children was still on the air, I think, at this point. Oh, yeah, still very much so. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this was a big role for her. This was like her, oh, we can take her seriously. She's She can actually act. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I want to pull over the car for a minute and, and talk about uh, how great she is. Yeah. Uh, because she's she's awesome in this movie. And I think she does not get a lot of credit or, or the credit she's due for what a good comedic actress she is. Yeah. And, and like the proof is go watch Anchorman where she has to go toe to toe with like some of the funniest people ever. And hold her own in that movie, and she totally does. Like she's up against Will Ferrell, Steve Carell, Paul Rudd, and just you know she's a major just force in that movie. And here it's the same thing. Is like you can tell she has this great sense of timing, and yet I find her character extremely lovable. Like I just was like I wanted to root for her so much yeah. throughout the movie, and that's all a credit to her. Right. Yeah, and it's like you have to be that magnetic personality because like Rose falls in love with her so fast. And just like this is, I'm I'm all in with this girl like right away. And I think, you know, if if the actress didn't have the charisma that Christine Applegate showed, that it wouldn't be believable. And it was just luck of the draw that it ended up being her anyway. That I think originally they talked about Renota uh, Renota Wider. Yeah, but- <laughs> Renona Wider. Adela Dazim. Adela Dazim. Winona Ryder. You know, from Beetlejuice and such. Um, that she was going to be the be that character, and I actually think she would have done a great job as well. I could totally see it, but but yeah, it was just an issue of like the rights of the movie getting moved around from studio to studio, and then eventually it kind of fell to this studio that had a relationship to Ed O'Neill, uh, Al Bundy, who then I guess said, "Oh well, let's get Christina to do it. She'd be perfect." Yeah, and uh, I, I think the movie's so much better, obviously, for having her in it. Oh yeah, and uh, like. As long as we're talking about Christine Applegate, let's talk about how in every single scene, whatever she is wearing, she is rocking the hell out of it. Well, you expect her to, right? She's got to right. be well, a fashion expert. Yeah, well, plot-wise, I mean, they set it up from the beginning that she's shopping, and then she, like, picks out her clothes for that first day of work. I mean, they you know she's going to save the day eventually based on, like, the choices that they're making at the beginning of the movie. Well, she makes a – there's a couple of, like, clothes-changing montages. So she, she has a lot to choose from, for sure. And she builds things from her mother's closet. She somehow makes it work in yeah. her business clothes. Yeah, there yeah. were a lot of outfits I remember thinking, like, oh, I would want to wear that. I was going to say, for, for like a lot of out, that really outlandish early 90s fashion that's in the movie, she always looks great. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of timeless. Right. Yeah. This movie is a great uh, like historical mark for like what, what did people dress like at a very specific time when the 80s were like almost done and the 90s were like just starting. Yeah, you could almost fit an entire decade between 1989 and 1993 in terms of what music and style and everything else was. Because like those dudes that hang out with Kenny, like every single one of them looks like the bass player for Pearl Jam. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think at one point there's like a guy going up the stairs and then there's like tears in his jeans, like right under his ass. <laughs> like right. Like, like anyone ever wore that. I had holes in my jeans. Like not there. <laughs> they were in the knees like a regular person. Uh, I, I was sort of like, the movie really just kicks into high gear pretty quickly. It's just like, yep, I'm leaving. I'm going away. See you later, kids. Goodbye. Yeah. And we're kind of off to the races. That I, I looked at the, uh, the time code the babysitter dies 12 minutes into the movie. And by that point, we know enough about the kids. We know enough about the mom, the situation, like the friends we've got all like, they did a really good job of putting a lot of like exposition in a very short amount of time and making entertaining. Yeah. And they set up the money issue pretty quickly as well, that that's going to be the driving force of the plot is like, literally they don't have money to eat because it was buried with the dead babysitter. 
Yeah. And uh, and they have no, I guess, no one else they can call. So. Yeah. And they really just don't want their mother to come back that bad that she's willing to spend her entire summer working. Yeah. Yeah, they could. They could. I, in theory, you're right. Just call her in Australia and say there's been a development. But <laughs> uh, no, they'd, they'd rather have their their free time and having um, you know pizza flipping contests. I don't know stuff. that I would have made that same choice. Oh no! There would have been some adult I reached out to. So I mean, I probably would have called my mom. I didn't want to wake up at like five thirty every morning and then sit in traffic, work all day, commit various forms of fraud. (laughs) Are you saying that your late teens were not a zany eighties comedy? (laughs) (laughs) Not this comedy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a different one. And I really uh, want to talk a little bit about Josh Charles, who yeah. plays her love interest. Brian, uh, what a charming guy this is! Um, I I have I know I've seen him in other stuff. He the, his big thing lately is that he's a major character on The Good Wife, which I've never mm. watched, but he's in like a hundred and some odd episodes of it, so he must be important. He um, was in yeah, one of my yeah. favorite sitcoms of all time, Sports Night. Ah, uh, okay, he's a Sorkin guy. He, right, yeah, that makes sense. He was he was in that uh, that early Sorkin thing. I think he may have done a little bit on the West Wing, but I don't think he was ever regular. Remember these things? They're great. Come on, bounce with me. Yeah, come on. I feel stupid. We are too old to bounce. Oh, come on. Bouncing is an ageless pastime. Man, come on. Do you feel more comfortable if I started bouncing first? No. Yeah, I just love her relationship with him so much in this movie so good. because, like, she is this like you know luminously like notor- you know beautiful uh, figure, and like especially after like married with children, just like this is a sex symbol in like big br- uh, blinking letters. And here she's just like, despite all of that, like she's just enamored with this dude who spends his days cleaning up you know hot dog leftovers because he's just charming and nice, and like that's just really gratifying to watch. And, the, and he's willing to, like, accept her that, like, she's secretive about where she works and, and he's willing to, like, look past that, which is interesting. And I don't know that I would be so, like, forgiving. She's very adamant about, like, I do not want to tell you where I work, obviously, because of plot reasons. But, um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, the first date he asks her on is to go to the beach and see the Grunion uh, which, you know, I did not even know what that was as a kid. Uh, and I just thought it was so cool. Like, oh, these teenagers could just get to the beach whenever they want, you know, living in landlocked Fort Worth, Texas. I was like, that was like, that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. You, you didn't know the joy of being able to come up and watch fish spawning on the beach. I did not. Yeah. <laughs> Again, this is part of like how it like glamorized. I thought of the word I was missing earlier. This glamorized like dating and like it was going to be romantic and like now you see things and it's like straight to like the sex and it's that this movie didn't think about that at all well it sort of did with the the co-worker yeah yeah with, john, with john gets right um, but not the boyfriend so they kept it appropriate for the or you know pg for the teenagers yeah. it was sweet and nice have you ever seen the Grunion? Have you ever actually gone to a beach and watched that no not at all i do remember going to beaches when it was red tide because mm. the red tide um, plankton or whatever they are are bioluminescent, so if you go at night, like it's a light show at the beach. Nice. I remember doing that in high school, mm-hmm. not on a date. That's how, that's how Doug would have done it if he had had the opportunity to ask out Christina on a date. There it is. Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's still a chance. You can right? go work at Clown Dog Burger or whatever. Yeah, it's called. <laughs> Clown Dog. That dude, the dude who runs the clown dog is a human cartoon, and I'm totally there for it. Yeah. How's the scrub dub dubbing going? Now, you're almost doing that correctly, but you forgot one very big thing. What, no enough cleanser? Nope. Forgot to put on a happy face. Next, you get to scrape the spitballs off the drive through window with a really fun squeegee. Um, Doug, I, I know you would know this, Amy. I don't know if you've seen UHF, but that guy really gave me like weird Al Yankovic from UHF vibes in his delivery. A little bit. Yeah. The sort of over eagerness. Plus he's got that mop of curly hair. Yeah. I see that. He actually kind of reminded me of the other guy from UHF, his best friend. 
Uh, oh who sure. He like he co-runs the station with. Yeah. Um, so that's there, and that movie also is it's a little zanier and weirder than this in terms of its sensibilities. But like I said, there's some of that DNA in here, and I yeah. kind of liked when that bubbled to the surface. They're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna shift into a different comedic space for a while. Yeah. Um, I I really like that. But uh, yeah, that dude. Um, I feel like that guy made a meal out of that part. Like, if you look at his lines on paper, they're not nearly as interesting as what, the way he says them. So, yeah. kudos to that actor. Yeah, he pulled a, 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 what's his name, from Silence of the Lambs. Like, not a lot of screen time, but really really made an impression. <laughs> yep, the, the clown dog dude and Sir Anthony Hopkins. That's the, whether they're like the same, <laughs> like the same yeah. thing in cinema history. Like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, we want to talk about Kenny a little bit. Yeah, yeah we just love Kenny. He goes on. He has the like kind of the biggest arc in the movie too. He, there's so many things like he's so it's endearing. Like he's like this bad boy, but he still like cares about his family. And like when the brother falls off the roof, and he's like, "Oh man, I forget exactly what he says." I'm sure Rich remembers, but <laughs> <laughs> I should have been there, uh, man. I should have been reading him green eggs and ham or some shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I and mean, I, it's a little unclear, like how old he is exactly. He's got to be younger than Christina Applegate, for sure. I assume that they are Irish twins and that he is sixteen, but I don't know that there's any evidence okay. of that specifically in the movie. Yeah, they never come out and say it, but they, they're pretty clear she's the oldest at seventeen. Yeah. yeah, and and I love that his like arc of becoming a chef is sort of it just sort of like kind of just sneaks up on you that that's what he's doing because for a while he's just like caught trying to make waffles by watching Julia child. Yeah. And from that, all of a sudden he's like, I'm making canapes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He has got a bit, a bit of a fast learning curve, but uh, I forgive it. Cause I just, I just, again, like, I just love him so much. And uh, you know, he's, it's funny cause he starts out as this guy who's very parasitic, right? He just takes and takes. And the thing that he gravitates toward is feeding people right giving you know nourishing others and it's like you know and then of course the girl who wouldn't give the time of day is now like into him and you know it's he he has he he definitely has the, the biggest arc absolutely he talks like he has no future at the beginning of the movie like yep i'm just gonna sit on a roof and drink beers with my friends forever yeah and i'm not gonna bother with school or any of that and then by the end it's like he figures out no i do have like talent and a purpose in life and uh, yeah, that that was a really just gratifying part of the movie to watch him kind of grow up. Yeah. Well, he says something like, "I think I'm gonna finally graduate," which is why like he was confused about the aging because yeah. she's graduated. So it's a little bit like maybe he is older and he's still living at like. It, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, he seems totally comfortable with a gun. So, <laughs> during that famous skeet shooting scene. And I don't want your friends hanging around my house. Right. Mow the lawn today, and don't forget to do the dishes, okay? Bye. I'll do the dishes. Yeah. The dishes are done. Yeah. yeah. The dishes are done, man. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, you know, like, I do like that line, even though the, the trailer did use that line to make it sound like the movie was going to be different than it was. But I like it for what it is. No, it's a good line and it's a good delivery. But yeah, it does. They It just gives the mistaken impression that, that that's all this movie was going to be. It's going to be, you know, the parents are gone. There's going to be this movie's going to have a climax with a giant raging party at the house. And then mom's going to come home and see it. And it's like. They don't have a giant rager. They have a black tie event. Yeah, <laughs> a <laughs> like the most sedate event. party possible. <laughs> and then and, and then mom comes home and is what's all this? Yeah. Successful people in limousines. I I do want to talk about the scene where they um where they get into like their mom and dad type fight where he's oh, like I yeah. cook and I clean and I do everything and you don't appreciate me. Yeah, I mean that was like got to be one of the best scenes of the movie. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I mean that is straight out of it like a sitcom or even like a I don't know probably like an early scene in Kramer versus Kramer. Or something. Yeah, it's just such a classic like domestic dispute. I went ahead and I fed the kids. I worked all day in that casserole. 
Sorry. You haven't even said how nice the house looks. You're off at the office all day doing interesting office things. I'm stuck here cooking and cleaning and mowing, helping Melissa with her fastball, being a role model for Zach, spending quality time with Walter, doing your party shit. You've got the car and you don't even take me anywhere anymore. And when was the last time we went out to dinner together, huh? You know what? I'm sick and tired of not being appreciated. I appreciate you. Eat shit. Yeah, I like that. I do want to talk. Let's, let's, we should talk about her workplace, this GAW fashion. Oh, we got to start with Carol. Before we get off of um, mm-hmm. Kenny, yeah. I do just want to call out he is in my other favorite babysitting movie, ah. Adventures in Babysitting, which I think we're going to have to do an episode on we'll that. Put as a pin well. on that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> there was, I guess, some obsession with babysitting. Mm-hmm. In the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. All right, go on. Watching G- kids have to watch the supervise themselves. That's Amy's <laughs> favorite genre. Yeah. There it is. Right. All right. Uh, and Babysitter's Club. And so baby, I, you're right. You put the word babysitter in a movie, I'm there. Okay. <laughs> well, I think you've named all three. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, GAW, where she goes to work, uh, is populated basically by three major characters, four. Um, you've got Rose, who she works for. Mm hmm. I did not, I kept staring at this actress going like, she was on LA Law or something, right? I couldn't figure out where I knew her from. She's Dolores from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yep. And yep. I was like, yeah, look, she just looks and sounds so different in this movie yeah. that I was, you know, totally different, not recognize her at all. A true character actress, right? That can go, just absorb herself to the role to where you don't even recognize her in two different movies. Right. And she was also and in Blade like Runner. A, who is she in Blade Runner? I you know I, that, that's not one of my movies that I've seen more than like twice, so I'm not sure. But I'll, I'll don't find worry it about it. We can, y'all can Google it and see uh, <laughs> who she is in Blade Runner. I just I have no memory of that. The only female from that I, females are that I remember are Sean Young and Daryl Hannah. I don't I don't know where she fits in. But yeah, so you have her. You have uh, David Duchovny in a small early pre X Files role. Yeah, I think it was one of playing, his first movie roles too. Yeah, I think there was some like hesitancy to cast him. I think because of that, he was at the time, you know, unproven. Mm-hmm. And then you get John Getz, who <laughs> plays a damn good sleaze bag. Oh yeah, I played some cello in my high school orchestra. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a woman gets older, she matures, she ripens, uh, juices start flowing. <laughs> and for you, sir, white wine spritzer. Give us a chance to break down some of those corporate barriers. Right. And by the end of lunch, we'll probably be sharing our intimate histories, stories of our first time. Next thing you know, we'll be sharing a cigarette in post-coital bliss. Are you talking about us having sex? Hey, hold on, slow down. You're moving too fast for me. <laughs> but if that's an area of interest, it can be arranged. And if it doesn't, uh, I was kidding. Rosemary chicken is delicious here. Very tender. No, he, he, he only has, I think, maybe three scenes in the movie total, maybe four. But, I mean, he like you definitely remember him. He is he's like Pepe Le Pew, but, like, even douchier. Yeah, he plays a more subdued version of this in The Fly, uh, where he also plays, you know, kind of a skeevy guy. But that guy goes on, like, a redemption arc throughout that movie to where he's you know, kind of heroic at the end. Uh, this dude, yeah, like you said... Pepe Le Pew without the charm. Like, just, oh, he's so gross. Like, the, like he just feels to me like if you were to put together a, a video to try and train employees about sexual harassment, you would show them clips would... from this movie. <laughs> Amy, have you ever actually met a guy this sleazy that you know of? Like, other than me. <laughs> no, but I believe it's a great example of the work. I'm sure this guy exists in a lot of work. Oh, I'm sure. Have you ever encountered anything like anything this? Anything this sleazy? I, I'm sure I've, I'm sure it's happened. I can't recall it right at this minute. Okay. <laughs> but you've never been on the other end of that. Have I been the sleaze? No, not, no, no. Have you been, have you been, yes, have yes, you been I'm sleazed sure. upon? I'm sure I have. I, not to, maybe not to that degree. Yeah. yeah. But you, you got to feel bad for, for Rose. I mean, she's oh, yeah. so sweet. Like she doesn't deserve that at all. No. I, yeah. It's almost sad because she otherwise seems like a fairly, you know, uh, put together sharp, uh, observant person. And she just does not see this guy for what he is. And I think it, it's sort of implied that maybe 
she's getting a little older and maybe her options are dwindling. And so she is like, well, this guy's showing interest, you know, so he's, he's winning the sweepstakes. But to her credit, like once she knows she, she doesn't like try and excuse, you know, she's just like, Oh, okay. Full, full one eighty. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She does not try to excuse his behavior once, once she figures it out. Yeah. She's, she's off the gust train for sure. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, you know, like looking back, I'm like, oh, that's a pretty empowering like thing uh, to give a female character in a movie that long ago. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I like the the relationship too, that they set up between Rose and um, Swell. Like, yeah. I think that's a good, powerful, like dynamic in the workplace that isn't often found. Yeah. This like strong female lead and she's not competitive. Well, the competitiveness comes from the receptionist, but like, I feel like they set it up to have a really good relationship between the two. And I wonder like if they're also saying something about swells relationship with her mother and how maybe this woman is more of the role model and kind of what she would like aspire to be more of rather than her mom. But yeah, well that does feed into the, the overall theme of mom sucks (laughs) because like there's that tagline. Well, kind of, I mean like within the span of like what, two months or so she's like transformed the entire house. Like, you know, the, this, you know, fuck up son has completely turned his life around. Yeah. And like, it's like as a family unit, they've never been tighter or doing better than when Sue Ellen was in charge. Yeah. So the, definitely there's a little bit of that, like, yeah, mom, I'm succeeding now that you're off my, you know, out of the picture. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the relationship between Rose and Sue Ellen is definitely one of the best in the movie. That mentorship yeah. that she shows, the trust she gives her, and especially when she comes to her aid at the very end of the movie and says, like, hey, I don't care that you're, you know, 17. No one cared that you were 17. They loved your ideas. Yeah. And that then she supports her when she says, I'm not, you know, she says, you can come back to work for me anyway. And she says, no, I'm going to go to college and learn more. She's like, I'll wait for you when you get back yeah Yeah. you you believe that these two characters will have like a lifelong like mentorship friendship relationship yeah it's real nice uh yeah i I, their relationships there's so many good relationships like the brother you know kenny and and her uh like they're rocky but like the whole time like they stay together and then by the end they're just like really on the same team and even the younger kids and stuff uh, can we though shift real quick to talk about Carolyn, who chews the scenery, uh, and they're given the line talks like she's chewing her face. That's the receptionist, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah, yeah, she sucks. She's so <laughs> evil. And what I love about it is that, like, it's it's a good choice for a for a villain because all of the criticisms and things she finds out about Suellen, they're all true. Right. She is a fraud. She is stealing from the company. She is 17 years old. Like all of the things she's like trying to tell Rose are like they're all correct about how Sue Ellen is doing these unethical things. But we still hate her because the only reason she's doing this is to be a tattletale to try and. You know, she she resents that Sue Ellen jumped the ladder essentially to get ahead of her. Well, she's just a total bitch from the get go. Yeah. Like, there's nothing redeemable about her. No, they give you they, no they reason. They set her up immediately as being this awful bitch. Yeah. And literally everyone else in the office talks Everybody about how hates awful she her is. Too. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I will push back that I do think they gave her one redeeming moment when um, she's talking to Brian in the office and Swellen like, sees it and backs up. She's, like, trying to give her brother good advice, right? We, we know that we don't like the advice because it's against Christine Applegate, but... Uh, but it's actually, she's like, no, you need to move on, buddy. You're great. You know, and I'm like, oh, she's got a that's heart. True. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, th- that's the one coincidence in the movie that I think could have been, with a, with a few gentle rewrites, you probably could have solved it. Because as it is, she meets Josh Charles at the Clown Dog. And then we only later discover that he happens to be this receptionist's younger brother. Mm-hmm. I think you could have found a way to have her uh, Christina Applegate and Josh Charles meet in a way that more organically tie, you know, like maybe put the clown dog across the street from GAW so that when she quits there, she sees GAW, you know, across the street and says, I'm going to go work there. And the reason he's working there is because his sister's across the street. You could have done something. I just don't know that it matters that they're brother and sister. Like that doesn't really play into the plot at all. 
Like, well, just so he doesn't end up finding out that she works there. So. But that leads to their fight, remember? Like, when he, like, I, walks She doesn't away. want him to... Yeah. yeah, I feel like there could have been a better, like, fight. I just... It doesn't make sense to me that they had to be brother and sister. Like, what is that that... It's solely for the purpose of them getting into an argument later. Yeah, I think like, just one, one more rewrite could have polished off you know some of these rough edges, and it would have been fine. I mean, it doesn't hurt. You know, you're you're you go along with a movie. You, you just accept that coincidence and keep going. Um, Maybe so. it like existed in some other like there were some other scenes that were cut or something that make it make more sense. Yeah. Yeah, or just make it not just feel like this ridiculous coincidence that of all the dudes in <laughs> Los Angeles. She could develop a crush on. It's the one that happens to be the younger brother of this other person she runs into. Yeah. Um, there, there's, there's, I'm sure there's a way you could have made that coincidence more likely to happen and, uh, and keep the plot pretty much the same. But uh, we don't need to Monday morning quarterback that so much. But it was the <laughs> one thing that was kind of like, hmm, eh, yeah. you, there was probably a, a simpler solution to this equation. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about the other coworker that is just so sweet and wonderful. Oh and, and yeah. I can't remember Kathy. her name. Kathy, Kathy, the QED report. The, the yeah. QED Kathy. The person to whom she delegates everything. <laughs> Who obviously will get the job. Yeah, did they once s- well Of course. I was going to say I did they if they did they square that circle where Rose was like, "Oh, you actually were the one who did all that yes. work? Well, you deserve a promotion." Well, she said that she delegated it to Kathy. So she never took credit for doing the report. Yeah. Okay. So so Rose knew that Kathy yeah. uh example or, or produced work of quality. So that, we're... by the way, that I was just going to say that QED report like scared me for work. Yeah. I was like, "I don't know how how do you type that up?" Yeah. Where do you get the data from? How do you make it look so pretty? I mean, I was like always scared. Like, how am I going to make something like that? When I go to an office. <laughs> and Rose reacts to it like, oh, this is a work of art. This yeah, I QED need to report. know. Like, I think I looked up QED report like the other day. It goes with funny. the, uh, was it the, um, the TPS reports from Office Space, right? Yeah. It's just, you know, corporate busy work nonsense. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but, but Kathy... That stuff scared me too, actually. That concept of like, oh, someday you're going to have to get a job and it's going to be pushing around complicated stuff that looks like this and it's just nonsense. And uh, instead, I got a job doing very complicated <laughs> stuff that it's probably looks like nonsense to most other people. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Same. Yeah. But also the fact that she's doing it on like 1991 computer technology. That must make doing work like that so much more cumbersome. I just don't know how she typed it up. How does she type it? I have so many questions. What is it even a report of? When uh, Rose shows uh, Swell her computer, she says, here's your computer, WordStar and Lotus. And I was mm-hmm. just like, okay. yeah, 1990 in the house. WordStar <laughs> and Lotus. I don't even know. Doug, do you remember those? Uh, WordStar, I don't remember. I used Lotus for yeah. sure. Not that early. I think I used, I had a Lotus for Windows 3.1. Yeah. Cause we had, we had a machine with 3.1 in the house. Um, you know, my dad works in computers and so we, uh, you know, we had a, and this was a, a God, this was a, uh, it was a 486, uh, you know, PC, which, uh, you know, we used Stacker on the on the hard drive to double it. So wow. just to use some real old school computing terms. That, like I used to know how to work with DOS. Like I had to use DOS at home. I kind of knew that. And, you know, this early version of Windows. Uh, it was a good time for trying to figure out stuff because, like, I-, I was a, you know, a gamer. And so when you bought software for computers like that, it was like, oh, I better learn some complicated stuff. They, they would tell you, like, oh, if it doesn't work, it's not easily compatible. You'd have to go into, like, code and modify things to get stuff to run. And I don't know how I got some of that stuff running at, like, you know, 10 or 11 years old without my dad's help. Sometimes he helped. But nice. Yeah, that stuff is real. Like, uh, thank God we have the computer we have now. That stuff was so cumbersome. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. <laughs> Uh, Should we talk about the saving the day, like the circumstances around like the companies and trouble? You mean yeah. being right on top of that, Rose? <laughs> well, we haven't even gotten to right on top of that, Rose. Now, I can't remember the circumstances that like they make a presentation. Oh, they're forcing like the kids to like wear uniforms, right? That's yeah. what they're pushing. 
and then the, the school board rejects it. And, and the ugly whole uniforms. company, yeah. ugly yeah. company, the entire company is going under because one school board said no, which is another oh, unbelievable. Yeah, I, well, we don't get a lot of it. And we also understand this is like not the main office. There's like a New York office well, or General something. General Carroll West. Yeah, yeah, they're west. Is there a general? Is there a G-A- They keep they keep talking about New York. New York does this. New York does that. So yeah, it seems like there's a satellite place that's trying to prove itself. Okay, but yeah, there's definitely something weird about like yeah, they made one presentation. the The client said, "Eh, I don't think so," and like people are running around on fire. <laughs> well, so in the very horrible. first scene, I don't know if you remember, but she's on the phone and she's like, we lost another client. You know, we can't afford oh. to lose one more. So they did set that up before him. Okay. Yeah. There was definitely like a little part of me trying to go like, okay, I, I'm not sure I understand all of the stakes. It doesn't really matter because it's just a, uh, an opportunity for Sue Ellen to shine. Which is yeah. the best part of the movie, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, tell me why you think that's your favorite part of the movie. Oh, it's just so fun. And she, you know, the sparks in her head go off, or the light bulb goes off, and she starts grabbing the clothes, and she does what she does best. Yeah. And she just, yeah. All while being a nice person to Frank, and like... Yeah. Yeah, she's like, like everybody at work loves her, and she's like, you know, she takes them under her wing, and like, she's a model employee. Yeah, I don't know. Did you catch the line at the uh, party when they're announcing her and they say, and our recent uh, employee of the month, Sue Ellen. I was like, I I don't think I ever caught that before. Yeah, she's been there for two months. And the second month, she gets it. Employee of the month, yeah, yeah. She deserved it, I I think. Oh, yeah. Well, we hope she deserves it. Yeah. I mean, she got employee of the month and she hadn't even made the presentation yet. Right. So they were banking on her. Sure. Everyone just liked her. Yeah, and and that again, you bring it. That character is just exceedingly likable. Mm-hmm. You know, she's I, part of it. Is just she's trying so hard against such you know such an uphill battle and crazy odds. Like her, most of her family is essentially you know getting in her way yeah. and making things hard. She's trying to make it work with this guy while balancing her, you know, keeping her secret. And there's the fundamental problem of like we're go- literally going to run out of money and not be able to eat. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and she, she solves all so of it, well. right? And but in a in a way that's earned. It's not like a Deus Ex Machina thing where you're like, okay, they they figured out all the problems. It's like she like puts in the work. She uses her fashion skills, which she already had. She's like being a leader, you know, the youngest person in a company, and like being the one like I'm setting the meeting agenda and this, that, and the other, and like being the head of the household and doing all this crazy stuff. And it's like she like you're rooting for her. you're like go so well go, you know, and she does it. I mean, that kind of comes out in that scene you mentioned earlier where she's arguing with her brother about how hard she works, right? Yeah. She's like, I'm, I'm sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic every day to, you know, put food on the table and all that stuff. And, like, she is. Like, that really resonates that with, you know, how hard she's working. And she's never had to really knuckle down and, and focus like that, right? Yeah. She's, you know, this is um, – we don't get the sense that she's quite the slacker that Kenny is, but she's not far from that. Yeah. Right. So her, I mean, her mom must not be the worst mom in the world if she has given Swell this level of confidence in herself and and this work ethic. Yeah. So maybe maybe she's an okay mom. It's funny they only I'm mentioned. Still not, <laughs> I'm still not sold. They only mentioned the dad twice, and it's a very quick and throwaway lines. Um, at I one point, yeah. At one point, uh, the younger the daughter not the younger daughter says, uh, I. I want to. I wish Dad was around. And the mom says, "No, you don't." Just like very, like, "No, you don't." And then something about, "Oh, we could call Dad." No, we're not going to call Dad when, uh, like, to solve the money problem. Yeah, there might be one other thing in there. They, they mentioned he has a girlfriend, or he's out of town, or something like they, that. They, yeah. they they have to. Well, they have to deal with that because the obvious solution to their problem, if you're in their position, is well, is there another adult we could call for help? Yeah, and we have to for the plot to work. We have to say no; they're totally on their own. Yeah, I mean, so, you would assume, like, unless he's a total, total dirtbag, that he's seeing his kids like in some regular interval. He wouldn't let them starve to death. <laughs> you know, he would help them in some way. But yeah, we just have to assume he's a he's a dirtbag, or you could have made him dead. I mean, whatever. They, they, there's a lot of ways to get around that. They, I think they mentioned a couple of other relatives they theoretically could contact and mm-hmm. and and don't. Yeah. So they did what they had to do. Yeah. 
And they pull it off. The house looked amazing. They put on a goddamn fashion show. I mean, and a good one. And it was like, they, they nailed it. Ice sculptures and everything. I mean, I do events for my work. And yeah, the the level of like planning that goes into those things, that's not an easy task. And they, you know, Kenny made enough food for all of the guests, which is yeah. incredible. And he has good friends too. They came through. All the friends came through. Right, they're helping. They're, they're they're waiting tables or whatever. They're working they're... ballet, and they instantly notice that Carolyn and David Duchovny are dirtbags. I love that. That <laughs> <laughs> they'd like destroy the car. Yeah. And they talk for the you know for two seconds, and they're like, yeah, they. Yeah. It's, it's just funny. Uh, do you guys have a favorite scene? I mean, I think it was what I said earlier about when she's like saving the day and grabbing all the clothes. Yeah, just when she's down in the warehouse and pulling the clothes, that that scene is always it's great. Stuck with me. I think I got to be a romantic and say it's the Grunions, like when they like <laughs> all, they like oh we ruined the moment for the kiss, and then they go in for the kiss anyway, and you see all these like fish flopping around on their feet. It's just like it was mm-hmm. pretty romantic. That's a good song. Is that the one with the, the song? That's uh, that's a lot uh, of good. Only music. have eyes for you. Yeah, yeah. is in that scene. Yeah, yeah, that's the soundtrack's worth mentioning. Just in general, there's uh, a lot of good songs on there. There's an interesting song drop that I remembered is that it, there's at some point she is, I think she's is when she first decides to uh, take a little of the petty cash for herself. Mm-hmm. They drop in a song called "Give Me Some Money," mm-hmm. which is a Spinal Tap song. Yeah, so it's an interesting choice to go like we're going to use this song by a fake comedy band. Yeah. Uh, and, and just play it straight. Like, that felt like, again, a touch that a, a Savage Steve Holland might do if he had directed the movie. So that's why I was like, oh, it's there. Like, Hell some yeah. of that stuff is in there. Hell yeah. Um, Did you have a favorite scene, Doug? Uh, you know, actually, I thought one of the best scenes, it's not, it's not a favorite scene because it's a sad scene, but when uh, when Christina Applegate and Josh Charles have that fight. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I, think, I thought that was really well executed. And I... I, I, what I liked most about it is Christina Applegate spends a lot of the movie trying to fool people that she is older and more mature than she is. And every time she has a scene with uh, Josh Charles, she like downshifts back into like, no, I'm a 17 year old girl and I'm excited to go on a date with this boy I like. Yeah. And so it was really neat to watch her kind of go like, nope, I'm a teenager now. Oh, now, now I'm this. A mature receptionist at a big old important company <laughs> and so like i feel like when you peel that away and you're kind of seeing the real her like she you know she wants so badly just to just be a normal teenager and not worry about all this shit and just go have fun with this guy yeah. and she can't and so i i really was i felt that scene was kind of like the the most important scene for the movie emotionally so that one i really connected with right nice. and that's supposed to be like the last summer before you go to college. Yeah. Like that's such a bummer to like, to think that that should be what she's doing. It's just having fun and and meeting boys and doing things like that. Not, I mean, what was your, your summer before you went away to college? Uh, Can you imagine spending it like how she did? Working like that? (laughs) No, I don't remember. I'm sure I just bummed around and didn't do too much. I just hung around with my friends and thought, like, all right, I'm going to yeah. just hang with them because, you know, after this, I'm going to college. Exactly. They're going to college, and, you know, we won't be able to do this the so The real much. life starts. Right. And she's thrust into that. Well, and she says as much, right, when she's giving uh, her younger siblings kind of the business, where she's like, you know, I'm going to work and doing all this so you guys can eat, and you are sitting on the couch watching TV and having a great old time. And not that she expects them to go out and get jobs. They're like, you know, 11 or 12 or whatever they are. But they're, you know, it's very clear for her that like, this is a unique point in my life and I'm missing, missing getting to have that. Why didn't she get to go to Europe with her friends? What was the reason for that? Her mom didn't, couldn't pay for it. And, uh, and her beau was a jerk because he invited her only to come to Australia with him and not the five kids. Yeah. (sighs) So she couldn't she she couldn't afford to send her kid elsewhere, but her boyfriend could afford to send her to Australia. So it was a bit. And she tight. could afford she could afford to pay this babysitter to theoretically watch them all summer. Like that's not cheap. That's gotta be a lot of money. Yeah, full time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you if you put pen to paper on the math of some of this, it it kind of, I would don't worry about that. 
<laughs> yeah. I don't even know. Do we do we even know what the mom does for a living? Never said. Not not clear. Yeah. But it's not something important. she can take off for two and a half months, clearly. Yeah. Maybe she's a teacher. Yeah. Principal or something. Yeah. Maybe. Makes yeah. sense. I, I guess it could be any job. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about like just some what I consider just like jewels of like moments, little quotes, different things like that? Because there's yes, so many of them. Uh, one uh, in the animation. Do you know who voices the little animated babysitter in the opening credits? No, Homer Simpson himself, Dan Castellaneta. Oh, yeah. that is cool. Yeah, and that was obviously he's doing a very different voice. Yeah, very different voice. But it was you know that was made in 1990. And, you know, The Simpsons had just come out, so he wasn't really a big deal yet. There was just some other random voice gig. Uh, so the babysitter dies. Do you know, do you, do you remember, like, what happens right before she dies? Uh, she takes some. She Doesn't she take, I'm trying to remember. She goes out, I thought she goes out and gives Kenny a bunch of crap. He's outside the house in the car. Does she see Kenny smoking and she closes the door on him? No, no. no? She, she never actually sees Kenny. They never have a scene together. She goes into Kenny's room when he's gone and she like right. starts to have a heart attack and then barely gets out of there and looks like this. And the next time we see her, she's dead. So theoretically, Kenny's room killed the babysitter. Like literally an Iron Maiden poster. <laughs> and boobs, I think. Yeah, there were boobs yeah. and there was, you know, weed and there was a mess everywhere. And she was so shocked by that that it she died. Um, when she dies, they wrap her up. In a California raisins bed sheet. Those... I did catch that. Did catch my eye. Like that's a, what a weird detail. That, like, <laughs> is that product placement? There was also I a lot of coke in the movie. Had one of those. I <laughs> had you? that that very California raisins. Like when she's like, I go, holy shit! I had that. Like it was nuts. There was there was a lot of product placement. There was a Burger King. There was a Coca Cola. There was there was a lot of things. I don't. I, don't, I assume they got paid for it, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. The notable Celeste pizza. Oh, right. Flip as a coin. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you remember the inscription they write on the on the trunk they stuff the woman's body in? It's something like, get a nice old lady inside. You know, nice old lady inside died of natural causes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, of course, what you would write if they did not die of natural causes. Yeah. Oh, uh, Sue Ellen's sal- salary. I I caught it and wrote it down. Thirty seven thousand five hundred dollars a year. In nine- that's a lot. I feel like for in, that year in nineteen ninety one. Yeah, now that's it's it's not quite as low as minimum wage, but it's close for a senior. Yeah. I think she's like a senior executive assistant. Yeah, she's not quite a receptionist. She's like a couple steps. She's yeah. That. She'd be earning more than. Well, I don't know what inflation, like what what thirty seven thousand dollars in nineteen ninety one would be yeah. today. But. I think thirty seven thousand was like my starting salary for my first job after college. Yeah, which would have been ten years later. Something more. like yeah. she was doing. Yeah, basically, uh, that was a lot. A lot of years later. Yeah, there's a throwaway line from Rose when she said, <clears throat> "She says, put some cucumbers on your eyes." And uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Swellen says, oh, I'm out of cucumbers. She goes, every woman over 25 needs a cucumber in the house. Yeah, I did queen, not queen. get that joke <laughs> as a kid until later. I was like, that's a dildo joke. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a few of those. They kind of like sneak by you for sure. Uh, I think my favorite joke in the whole movie, though, is, Swellen, have you ever had a 48-hour orgasm? No, I've never been to Santa Barbara. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is brilliant. You got any one-liners that like you love that stick out? Oh, man. I've only seen it the once, so it's hard for me to to pull specific lines like that. But that one, the forty-eight hour orgasm one, that did stand out to me. We were, we both turned to each other like that sounds awful. Yeah, but... <laughs> that's, that's actually like a nightmare scenario yeah. where it's like, oh yes, that's like a monkey's paw. Oh, you want <laughs> orgasms, do you? Um... I need a doctor. <laughs> yeah. I know with Viagra, you're supposed to call a doctor if it lasts for more than four hours. Oh, God. There it is. Um, uh, my mom, I mean, what's funny is like my mom, and she's since passed, but she used to say, I'm right on top of that rose like all the time. Oh, of course. The, so I mean, that's the like, best line that's in the whole movie. the best one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, one more thing. And this is so important. Whenever we're not alone or I'm on the phone and I ask you something, doesn't matter what it is, you always say, I'm right on top of that rose. Okay? Okay. Not at all. We'll messenger them right over. Sue Ellen, 
How are the cost estimates for the superintendent coming? He needs them this afternoon. I'm right on top of that, Rose. It's only used three I, I, times, but it is so memorable every time. Well, they definitely set that up of like, you're supposed to say this. Like, it's mm-hmm. a great joke set up because you know it's coming back when it's, you know, when she's in real trouble. Yeah, it's good payback. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's funny. I, I didn't, I don't remember hearing your mom say it, but I, I somehow feel like, yeah, this would be a movie she liked. She had kind of a, like a, kind of a sneaky little sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell if my mom would like this or not. She would not like the fact that, like, the kids are unsupervised. Like, that right. kind of stuff would bug her. Yeah. Well, your mom likes movies with scenery, and this doesn't really have good scenery. Maybe she'd like the Grunions, too. Yeah, but not with, but not, <laughs> like, not so much with respect to comedies. She wouldn't care about that. She would, she would call it a client movie. Because she'd be trying to, like, solve the problem. Well, she likes, though, she really likes movies like Working Girl. Okay. And so there's so much of this movie is actually that. Yeah. That she might have she might have liked it, but like I know, like she she didn't she doesn't like Ferris Bueller's Day Off because again it's, it's all it's about these kids slacking. And my mom was a, a teacher for many many years, so wow. it probably explains why she was and not a therapist there. and a therapist. Yeah, yeah. those are her two jobs. So. I wonder like what the demographic. I guess it would be like kid like teenagers, early twenties, like the demographic for this movie. Oh, it's got to be people our age, yeah. our age and, now and younger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People who were born in the early eighties. Yeah, you know, this is their movie. Hundred percent for sure, because because I think it, it I read it, the budget was something like ten eleven million dollars and it made like twenty one, so it wasn't a flop. But they wouldn't consider that a hit. No, it yeah. wasn't. You know, did, like I said, didn't set the world on fire. No, it, but yeah. has had this long tail. Yeah, uh, a couple other lines. Uh, Park it yourself, Metallica breath. Uh, <laughs> such a stupid line, but he delivers it so well. And then. Uh, when uh, when Rose when Carolyn comes to Rose with the ID that finally proves to Ellen is seventeen and Rose goes, What is it, Carolyn? Something <laughs> <laughs> So snark. So snark. And then of course yeah. uh when she tells her mom, Hey mom, you've had a long day. I think you just need to go to your room. It's like brilliant. <laughs> oh brilliant. I specifically said no parties. You weren't supposed to come home till next week. Sorry to have messed up your plans. Who are these people? Mom, calm down. I will not calm down. Walter. What happened to Walter? I had a little accident, but everything is taken care of. I have excellent medical coverage. And we will clean up the party, okay? But come on, Mom. You've had a long flight, and you're cranky. I have had a very rough night. So why don't you just go upstairs and take a nap and... Tomorrow morning, Kenny will whip up a batch of Belgian waffles and we'll sit down and discuss this like adults, all right? Fine. Kenny, Zach, why don't you guys go wrap up a party, okay? Okay. And Melissa, why don't you help Walter with that? All right, Mommy. I mean, as well. I was fascinated with this fashion show. Uh, we This is our second uh, episode we recorded uh, about something from the, early, the 90s. We did uh, My So-Called Life not that long mm-hmm. ago. We had to talk about some of the really weird fashion choices in that movie. But this fashion show is like, they, they look like they're ready for Cirque du Soleil. Like it is like <laughs> some really like crazy colors and like the like court jester kind of patterns. Yeah, right. And how they walk down the 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 runway is really fun too. Like not your typical yeah like stiff model. This is you know way more fun. They, they look like teenage kids having a good time. Yeah, like doing playing fashion, dress as up. opposed to professional models. Yeah, right. just walking in the line. Yeah. So are they the the point was that they were going to take uniforms and make them like everyday wear. That they were going to make them fun. Uniforms anymore. Like that. So they're going to make them. What happened was the kids rejected the uniforms. They set them on fire, right? Because they didn't like them. And that was Sue Ellen's thing the whole time. Is like the kids want to wear something that makes them feel fashionable. And so that was like the like these are like fashionable school uniforms. These are the uniforms that you would wear at school if you got to pick what they look like. Yeah. Okay, interesting. I kind of took it as more like, we're not just going to do uniforms anymore. We're just going to make these like mm-hmm. mainstream, like sell it at Macy's or whatever. Oh, maybe that too. Sure. I remember there at one point there was uh, the idea got tossed around about us potentially having uniforms at our school. And I can't remember. It was it would, couldn't have been older than junior high. Might have been even elementary school when this was being talked about. And I remember you know my friends and I being very against that this is all about conformity 
And it was like that Simpsons episode where like they literally like the kids, you know, they're all blinking in unison. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we were we were afraid that was what was going to happen. And uh, so I when this came out in this movie, I was like, it took me back to that point in my childhood. Like, yeah, man, we people were really dead set against wearing stuff like that. Yeah. We wear our bright neon clothes and, the, and our torn up <laughs> jeans. So I still I, I feel like kids still just want to wear what they want to wear. I'd go fight All it. All people do that. <laughs> I would fight it if they brought that to our kids' schools. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know they'd set them on fire. No, but no. I'd be displeased. Yeah. So uh, we're we're coming up on time. And so I, it's time to ask that question. Like, why do you think it is that people have, you know, have glommed onto this movie over the years? That, you know, despite it not being a huge hit when it came out. You mentioned this title and people's eyes light up like, yes, I love that movie. Why why do you think it is? I think that, uh, you know, similar to like It's a Wonderful Life got its second life on, uh, you know, TV stations showing it that when this came out on VHS and HBO and I think more kids saw it, that uh, I think it, it more spoke to us and people our age. I don't know if people, you know, like 10 years older than us, really, it hit with them or not. But, like, I know that a lot of people that I knew, like, really liked this. And and to speak from a heterosexual male's point of view, Christina Applegate was, like, top five crushes of my first 20 years of my life. And, I mean, she is, she looks amazing in this movie in every scene. And that is not unnoticed. I just think it was fun. (laughs) I, I don't know why. People, like, I I always say, like, when you see a movie when you're impressionable, then it just kind of lasts a little bit longer. Like, whatever that, like, it remains in your, you know, in your brain. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, just trying to put myself in the mindset of someone who had watched it all along since the early '90s, what I saw was a you know the, this thing got compared unfavorably and unfairly to Home Alone. But Home Alone is a cartoon with live humans, and it doesn't really deal with the overwhelming majority of the stuff that this movie deals with. The the whole, again, the cats away, the mouse will play stuff, which is only a very small part of this movie. And it's almost like, you know, if I felt like Home Alone was for kids... Uh, And I wanted a version of that that was more pointed towards myself as a a teenager or even a young adult. I would gravitate to this. And I would say, this is that this is giving me that right. Like that feeling of like kids on the cusp of growing up, trying to figure out how to make it on their own and take care of themselves. And that, I think, is kind of like the reason you root for Rose. So I'm sorry for uh, Sue Ellen so much is you want her to succeed at that. The world has you know, put every obstacle in front of her in terms of trying to make that hard, and this really lovable character um, triumphs over that. And that, I think that it's just really, like again, that warm, fuzzy feeling you get from this movie is not... You don't get that from Home Alone. Like, there are some warm, fuzzy feelings to be had from Home Alone, but they're a different species of yeah. warm, fuzzy feeling. So I, I really think that's what has, has kept this movie alive for a lot of people. At least I, that's certainly what I took from it when I watched it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, like I, similar to Clueless, I feel like when I look back at this movie, it takes me back to a very specific time in my life that that some other movies capture a little bit of, but for me, this captures it better than anything that I've that I've ever seen. Any uh, final thoughts on don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. No, this is just really fun to do. Oh, uh, Joanna Cassidy played Zahora or Zora, however it's pronounced in uh, Blade Runner. Thank God. All right. And I still don't remember who that character is in Blade Runner. And I've seen it a few times. Uh, anyway, guys, thank you so, so much for, for dropping on this. This was a, this was a great you. episode. It was, it was a treat to, to go to this blind spot and fill it in. I'm sure we'll watch it again. At some point, because uh, I sure enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah. So, uh, Amy, uh, where can people find you online to find <laughs> the cool things you do? Well, if you're interested in uh, finding me online, you can find my earring business at Momo Bunnies More Co. on Instagram or a TikTok. And, of course, the Etsy store itself. Sure, sure. Momo so, and Bunnies More Clay Earrings. Yep. 
And uh, Rich, where can people find you? If you're interested in uh, improv classes, workshops, in person or online from anywhere in the world, go to richbakercoaching.com. And if you like this show, of course, go online, drop it a review or a star rating, anything to uh, to show some love for it, and tell friends and get them to watch it. If you have feedback on our on Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead or our recent episodes on Rugrats and the Beatles and uh, a few others, please send that feedback to at NostalgiaPod on Twitter or just find Nostalgia Marcanum on Instagram. Uh, we've got some cool stuff coming up. We haven't quite mapped out where it's all going to be yet, but. Uh, there's discussion of doing an episode on Rocky. Uh, we want to do one on uh, Gargoyles. That's going to come up, I hope, soon. And, of course, Rich, you and I talked about doing Homestar Runner. Oh, yeah. yeah. It would be excellent for both of us to annoy people with our voices. Holy crap. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're not going to hold back on that one. Sorry, folks. Anyway, um, so that's what's coming up uh, relatively soon. Among other things, uh, there's been some discussion doing Batman 89, so I'm hoping we do that, too. Yeah. Um, so, uh, until next time, that is one more entry in the Nostalgia Art Panel. studio to run efficiently. There must be order, calmness, control. The Warner Brothers have taken the calmness and replaced it with chaos. That too zany scratch and sniff. I haven't been this upset since we made Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. And I have chosen you to get the Warner Brothers under control. Why me? Because you're a psychiatrist, dummy. Oh. Winona Ryder, Golden Insider. 